Welcome to the Bob Siegel Show podcast on the Cross Global Media Radio Network. Visit cgmradio.com slash bob to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. Welcome to the Bob Siegel Show. It's always good to have you. Well, it has been a couple of months since the Asbury Revival. And while I did speak about it a little bit on my radio show at the time, I didn't say much back then for several reasons. First of all, everybody and their brother were offering an opinion, and I thought that in the passage of time, this movement would bear fruit or not bear fruit. A couple of months is perhaps not enough time. We can argue that. But I did nevertheless take a wait-and-see attitude. I didn't want to wait a super long time because this was news, but I did wait a little bit that seemed fair, much to my surprise, when I decided over the last few days to revisit this exciting phenomenon, I found virtually nothing about it over the internet. So I promptly contacted a friend, somebody very connected, very privy to information. He said, and I quote, haven't heard a thing, silence, not a peep. Which means that today my more detailed response, which I did take the time to think about, is still going to be based on information two months ago. Although we might wonder if the fact that things seem to have died down may not be in and of itself some news. Can't say for sure, but certainly it would be difficult not to at least consider that possibility. In any event, let's review. What started as a simple chapel service at Asbury College in Kentucky turned into a non-stop meeting that went on for days and days and days. For a brief recap, here is a description from Inside Higher Education. They say, By the time university leaders concluded the gathering, an estimated 50,000 students and visitors had come to the campus to pray, said Kevin Brown, Asbury's president. The outpouring attracted students from more than 260 colleges and universities, many drawn by social media live streams and posts. Similar prayer services cropped up at other Christian universities, including Lee University in Tennessee, Cedarville University in Ohio, and Samford University in Alabama. Okay, let me say something about that first. People were going out to this thing like they were on a pilgrimage. I even heard some refer to this meeting as the inner sanctuary. My friends, it's exciting to go to locations where God is working. I've taken two trips to Israel. It was a thrill to be at the Holy Land, to know that Jesus was walking here. But just because that was a thrill didn't mean that I was any less close to God before coming to Israel. And some people will never go to Israel and they can be close to God because we all have the Holy Spirit working in us. So if revival's really going on in our country, it ought to be able to break out in other places. And of course, as you just heard, it did break out in some other places. That was a good sign, but the need to get to Asbury, that was something that I would raise my eyebrow at. To go and observe, see for yourself what's happening, see if you think it's genuine, sure. But the idea of, oh my gosh, God's spirit's in Asbury. I have to get to Asbury. That's something I think we ought to be able to agree was not necessary. Again, if somebody wanted to do it for the fun of it, for the thrill of it, fine. Just remember, you already have the Holy Spirit. Well, I don't think that was too much of a leap to say that. I don't think too many 
Christians would argue that point. But immediately, evangelical leaders did fall into two camps. Those excited, thanking God that revival for our country was finally going on, and God knows we need the revival. But then those with concerns. And a lot of the people with the concerns were merely asking questions. Others were jumping to conclusions. Those who jumped to conclusions were gravely mistaken. We should never jump to conclusions without getting the facts. But asking a few questions, raising some concerns, that's a different story. What were the concerns? Well, they broke down into two primary ones, one theological, one moral. The first one I would call hijacked theology. A lot of times when we see these outpourings of the Holy Spirit, there's also an outpouring of spiritual gifts. And I believe in spiritual gifts. The Bible talks about spiritual gifts, but usually a lot of bad theology comes with spiritual gifts. More on that in a moment. The other primary concern was the question, is genuine repentance taking place? Is the real gospel being preached? Well, let's go back, first of all, to the theological concern. Today, we have two extreme movements. We have dispensational theology, which claims that gifts such as the speaking in tongues, that's speaking a language language that you haven't learned, speaking it supernaturally. For example, if somebody doesn't know French, he might suddenly start speaking or praying in French. And the gift of prophecy, the gift of healing, those supernatural, miracle-related spiritual gifts, they'll say that those gifts have stopped. Other kinds of gifts like service, teaching, counseling, they'll say, well, those haven't stopped. And they'll say that now that the New Testament has been written, we don't need all those other spiritual gifts. In reaction to that, there's another whole movement called the charismatic movement. Not only do they claim that the gifts have not ceased, they'll claim that everybody should have them. They'll say that if you don't speak in tongues, you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit, and you don't have quite as much of the filling of the Holy Spirit as others. Where do I come down on this? Well, usually, and I've said this before on the radio. Generally speaking, when we have major disagreements in theology, there are extreme reactions to the extreme, and the Bible is somewhere down the middle, a much more balanced position. The Bible does not teach that supernatural gifts have stopped, but neither does the Bible teach that we need to have every gift. And so people being concerned that some bad theology might enter in, well, that was a valid concern, and I would be very surprised if that doesn't happen. Here's the thing you need to remember, though. Question, can somebody have bad theology and God might be working through them despite it? What I mean is this, somebody speaking in tongues, they claim that that's the filling of the Holy Spirit. Well, the theology that that means they're filled with the Holy Spirit is mistaken, but that doesn't mean they aren't actually speaking in tongues. And you say, but Bob, if they have bad theology, how can God be working? Because God is a gentleman. God is flexible. God is creative. God is merciful. God does not wait for us to get all the answers lined up in a row before he works. So genuine revival could be taking place at Asbury or other places, and the theology could be terrible. And I'm not even saying that's happened yet. I'm just saying people are worried that it's going to happen. But let's say it happens. The theology can be terrible, and God could still work. We've seen that with other revivals. Things do get messy. You have those that are genuinely saved. You have those that aren't genuinely saved. You have false prophets that get up. You get bad theology in there. And the greatest example of all is the very first revival. Read the book of Acts, the outpouring 
of the Holy Spirit upon the apostles, men who had followed Jesus around for three years. Now the resurrected Jesus has blasted off. He's gone back to heaven. Did the Holy Spirit work in the lives of the apostles? He did, and yet they had the worst theology you've ever heard. For the longest time, they were teaching that in order to become a Christian, you first had to become Jewish. They did not understand that the gospel of Jesus was for Gentiles too, for everybody, even though Jesus himself had said, go to the whole world and preach the gospel. And yet these apostles, despite their bad theology, they got it straightened out. You get to Acts chapter 15, there's the Jerusalem council, they get it straightened out. But just because it takes you 15 minutes to read 15 chapters of Acts doesn't mean church history was only 15 minutes long up to that time. Christianity was at least 20 years old before they had the Jerusalem council. And yet the Holy Spirit, despite this bad theology and teaching that you have to go back to the law of Moses before you can become a Christian and be forgiven by Christ, that's as heretical as anything I can think of. And yet the Holy Spirit was using these men to do miracles, to preach the gospel, to raise people from the dead. They were taking stands for God. They were being arrested. They were being supernaturally released from prison. God can work despite bad theology. Be very careful not to quickly attribute the works of God to the works of Satan. Jesus gave us very clear warnings. He warned that attributing the works of God to the works of Satan was on the road of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. He asked us in the book of Luke, what father, if his son asks for fish, will give him a serpent? He says, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, cannot the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So they're actually talking there about asking for the Holy Spirit. Don't jump to conclusions. Just because bad theology accompanies the supernatural, that does not necessarily mean that God is not at work. So whereas I sympathize with those who have the first concerns, because theology is very important to me, I think we could be overly concerned. God, in his grace, can work despite bad theology. The other concern, though, the morality, the repentance or lack thereof, the question of what kind of message is being preached, that is a much more valid question. That is a much more important thing to be questioning. Now, a lot of Christian leaders have been asking questions. Elisa Childers is one. She witnessed this event for herself. She was not against charismatics or revival. She had a very open heart, but she was discerning. She didn't have any reason to think God wasn't working, but she asked legitimate questions. So did Everett Piper, a good friend, former president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University. And some of the concerns, many were asking these questions, but I'm just keying in on the questions of a few here. How do we define revival? Revival comes with repentance. We look at a great revival in the Old Testament. King Josiah discovered the law of Moses, saw that people had not been following it. There was national repentance, crying out to God for mercy. And so what are the things that people need to repent of today? Well, the nation has a lot of things, but the church has been compromising with many of these issues. The church is supposed to be the salt of the earth, the light of the earth. 16% of the students at at Asbury College say they define themselves as part of the LGBTQ movement. Now, I can understand students these days being caught up in that, but what are the teachers saying? And I don't know the teachers. I imagine some are speaking out against it. But if genuine repentance was coming out of this revival, how often were we seeing students get up and confess that the LGBTQ movement was a sin? What about the other popular movement today? Critical race theory. That sounds good. Sounds like a good movement. We're just against racism. It's packaged as being anti-racist, so people feel that they should climb on board. But it's a 
abominable. God has nothing to do with it. It is something that in fact teaches racism. All white people are racists. No person of color can possibly be a racist. A call to go into classrooms and separate out the white children, even at four and five years old, telling them to sit in the back because of their white privilege. This is abominable, and Christian leaders should be speaking against it, but Christians tend to get their guilt buttons pushed. Oh, well, well, Jesus was about inclusion. Jesus was about love. Yes, you can love people, and you can be inclusive without embracing their lifestyle. We still have to speak against sin. So how about this? What about the repentance? Well, you listen to different reports. Certainly some repentance was observed, but not a lot. And I was hearing far more reports that it wasn't being observed than that it was. There's a lot of singing, a lot of emotion, not a lot of repentance, but there was some. So we do want to be fair. So how do we put this all together? The review at the moment is still mixed. There are still questions, but that goes to the heart and soul of what I want to leave you with today. My friends, people have a right to ask questions, and those that are asking them are being vilified. When a brother in Christ, like Everett Piper, or a sister in Christ, like Elisa Childress, can't ask questions without being accused of being some kind of Pharisee, especially when the very Jesus who confronted the Pharisees warned us to beware of false prophets, sent forth apostles who told us to test the spirits. When people are not open to questions, something is not right. And again, to be fair, I'm trying to be as balanced as I can here. Some have been open to questions and have received questions gracefully, all to say that I am continuing to take a wait-and-see attitude. But make no mistake, I will stand with those asking questions because when we as a church or we as a culture stop asking questions, we're walking in quicksand. This is Bob Siegel making the obvious obvious.